Thank you, Jerry. We are we're going to be taking a, a hiatus from our study in the Gospels. I want to be talking to you uh, about the church, more particularly the church as community and fellowship, and then use that as a launching for a discussion uh, and teaching on spiritual giftings and how those spiritual giftings translate to ministry. If we are truly to function as God intended us to function as a church body, we need to know each one of us what that means. It's not just that we attend a service, but that we serve. And in, unless we know how God has gifted us and equipped us, we're not, not going to know exactly where we need to serve. So uh, for the next several weeks, uh, we're going to be in that particular study. Then, Lord willing, if we're still here, we'll return back to our study of the Gospels. Okay? So how many were here last weekend? Okay, some of you came to the later service, some came to other services. Again, I'm sorry for those of you that missed this service, we didn't have it. Anybody remember the point of my message last week? What was it? No perfect church. No perfect church. Okay, but within the context of no perfect church, what's the purpose of the church? What's the meaning of the church? Why church? What, what should I be able to expect if, in, if I, in fact, I come to church, what, what should I expect? Yeah, I, 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 should, I, I should expect to participate in a community, in a family, whereby there's mutual strengthening, mutual building up, mutual encouragement, those kinds of things. The Bible talks about that, and we're going to look at that <coughs> in just a moment. Um, so it's important to realize that the church is not just about getting my needs met. It's a place where I come, it's a people that I participate with, uh, where I'm looking to exercise how God has gifted me so that I can be a blessing to others. And as I do that, my needs are automatically met. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. So there's a principle that's built in to God's creation. So I want to talk to you about community this morning, and more particularly, biblical community. I, biblical is because it's important, because the desire for community is everywhere. Everybody has a desire to be in community. I don't care what culture you're raised in. I don't care uh, what time period you've lived in. Everybody has a desire for community. It's everywhere in all cultures, and it's embedded in us by our creator. We're created with this desire for community. You may fight against it. You may be someone who says, well, you know, I don't want to, I'm not a people person. It's still in you. We all have a desire, truth be known, we all have a desire to know and to be known. We have a desire for relationship. You can't deny it. I mean, you can, but the reality is it's, it's embedded in us. It's built into us. I mean, just witness uh, the local Starbucks. 
You just go there to get coffee, right? No, there's a, there's a, there's a thing about that. It's an environment. It's, it's called, there's, a, there's a, a, a sociological phenomenon called the third place. It's our home, our work, and then there's a third place. And I'm submitting to you that the church ought to be the third place in our life where we find community, not just at Starbucks. There's online sites you can go to. There's all these social networking sites. Again, evidence of the fact that, that every human being longs for, has a hunger for, some kind of community. You go, if you go to a gym, okay, you may go to a gym just to work out. I go to a gym to work out. But there's community there. There's people I know, and I, I, I just have interactions with those folks. It's good to see them. It's good to share. And so all manner of community is, is expressed. We all have this innate desire to belong. We all have this innate desire to belong. The question is not, will we engage in community? Rather, what type of community will we engage in? What type of community? Our desire in our church, my desire for our church, is that all of us, all of us, would find some group of people to do life with, to be in community with. Like-minded, we believe the same way, we live the same way, we uphold the same values, that we would learn to know and to be known, to love and to be loved in order if we are to grow. If you're not in those environments, the Bible tells us what iron sharpens iron. iron. We need each other in our life. If you're not accustomed to this kind of thing, let me tell you, jump in with both feet. Learn how to be in community. Learn to be a, a participating uh, member of the local body of Christ. Otherwise, you're not going to grow. You can't isolate yourself. You cannot isolate yourself. The temptation to do so is strong. Some of us have been, have been uh, faked out. Some of us have been hurt. Some of us have been uh, challenged by uh, different environments and maybe even some churches. But nonetheless, the challenge for us is still to be involved if we want to grow. And does God intend us to grow? Yes. yes. He intends us to grow so that we become more and more like who? Jesus. Like himself. That's right. He's restoring the image in us, the image that was implanted at the very beginning that has become corrupted by sin. He's in the process of restoring that image. And the whole point, again, is so that he and I can have complete, total fellowship. One day, sin will be absolutely gone. Absolutely gone. And we'll have total, total unhindered fellowship with him. That's his desire. That's his will. But in the meantime, he works in us and through us so that we can engage one another more fully every day as we continue to grow and mature. Am I making sense? One of our core values at Hope, and we just have a few, we believe in the Bible. If you've been here any long, we teach the Bible. We teach the Bible verse by verse. You can read it yourself. You can check it yourself. Another core value is our worship. We, we expend a lot of energy, and we've got a lot of people involved in worship, and Alan has done a marvelous job over the years. He has the weekend off. And Justin does a marvelous job. But we're committed to worship. 
But worship is not just song. Worship is a lifestyle, isn't it? We're committed to serving. That's a core value. Are we serving? Who are we serving? I'll very often ask you uh, on one our one-on-one relationships, I'll say, uh, are you in mini church? Whose mini church are you in? What's your ministry? A part of our philosophy is one mini church, one ministry. Everybody should be in one mini church. Everybody should be involved in some kind of ministry. And that leads me to the fourth court value, and that is, quite frankly, fellowship. And the organ of fellowship in our church historically has been this thing called mini church. We have a mini church. It's during the week. We, we meet together for mutual encouragement, strengthening, prayer. We meet together to remind one another, hey, what did I hear on the weekend? And what difference has it made in my life? These are critical, critical issues if, in fact, we are to grow. Community is absolutely essential. Now, what is biblical community? First of all, the God we worship is the God who has eternally existed in community. Do you know that? Father, Son, and Spirit. Perfect harmony, perfect love, perfect joy, before time, throughout time, after time, all eternity. Perfect. God doesn't need us. Totally self-sufficient. But he wants kids. So he made us. Isn't that exciting? Look around. All the different sizes, colors, shapes, ethnic backgrounds. He's a God of marvelous variety, isn't he? And he means for us to value one another as he values us. But, But we're made in his image. And as image bearers, we are also to be communal as he is communal. That's part of being in his image. We are the crowning jewel on his creation. Do you know that? If you go back to the creation account in the early chapters of Genesis, you see that God speaks things into existence and he has a a, a very orderly progression of events. Uh, Six days he creates. On the seventh day, what did he do? He rested from his work of creation. But every day as he creates, you come to the place, as you approach the sixth day, everything's in place. The heavens are in place. Everything is there. And after every day of creation, what does God pronounce? He has a certain pronouncement. It is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. On the sixth day, he creates us. He creates man. And then after that, he pronounces what? It is very good. We're the crowning jewel on his creation. We're made in his very image. And for the display of that, we involve ourselves in community. Part of, again, part of being an image bearer is that we display his communal image. He is glorified as we're in community. There's nothing worse than Christians who are at odds. Would you agree? Because it's a testimony against the reality of who he is. The Bible says in the beginning, it's not good that the man be alone. 
He is to be in fellowship. He's to be in community. Now we know that right after God says that, he creates the woman, uh, the woe man for the man. But before he does that, God, the text tells us that apparently uh, man had, had, had community with God in the garden. Walk with God, talk with God in the cool of the garden. You would think, man, that's all, that's all he needs. He's perfect, no sin, walking with God. What else do you need? Well, God knows better, right, John? He always does stuff that we don't think. And he makes the woe man from the man. Brings her to him, and the man is just blessed, just blown away. Aren't we blessed, guys, by the women in our lives? Let me, let me try that again. <laughs> I didn't hear a rousing yay. Right, okay, well, we're going to maybe we'll do a teaching on that. <clears throat> In John chapter 17, you see Jesus. This is the night before he dies. He, this is the discourse the, uh, before he dies. And he prays a prayer in John chapter 17. This is high priestly prayer. This is really the Lord's prayer. You know, we, we call the Our Father the Lord's prayer. No, this is the Lord's prayer. And the theme of that prayer in John 17 is what? Anybody know? <coughs> Unity. He prays again and again. He prays, he prays first for himself. He prays for his disciples. And then he prays for those who would believe based on his disciples' testimony. And he prays that there would be unity among them. That that unity would, would reflect the unity that Jesus has with his Father. Again, it's another way of expressing this whole idea of community, of relationship, it goes back to the fact that we are image bearers. We're made for community. If you look at the first century church and the book of Acts, and Luke records the birth of the church and the growth of the church in the book of Acts. And in chapter 2 is the famous passage, beginning of verse 42, that characterizes the life of that first century church. And Luke says that they were devoted to a number of things. What were the things they were devoted to? They were devoted to what? To the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to the word of God. We're devoted to the word of God. We believe. They were devoted to what else? To the fellowship. We're devoted to the fellowship here. They were devoted to the breaking of bread or to uh, eating together and more particularly when they ate together they always did so in the name of the Lord and they took communion together and to prayer. This was a tight-knit community. And Luke goes on to say that as a result miraculous things were happening. These people were one mind and one heart and because they were powerful, mighty things were happening. God was moving in and through those believers because they were so dedicated and so committed. Miracles were happening. And thousands of people were being added to the church daily. And people were in awe. It's exciting when, you, when, when, when the church is alive and vibrant 
and fulfilling its calling. And people are going, wow, wow. That was the same thing in the first century. That first century was, was uh, culturally, sociologically, just a cold, cold, horrible time to live. And it was on the downside of the, uh, of the glory days of the Roman Empire. And it was a pagan, pagan environment, worse than what we're experiencing today. I mean, you look today and you go, oh man, what a, the world's in bad shape. You think it's in bad shape today. You should have been living back then. But the same thing is true, as I mentioned earlier. People are still hungering for community. They, they're made for it. They may not be aware of it, but there's something missing in my life. And now they see this group of people who are now followers of the way. They're Christians. And they see the love that they have one another. And that's exactly the testimony of the early church. Behold how they love one another. This was, this was something that was absolutely unknown in that culture. But it was so attractive. It was like, it was like a, a bees to honey, moths to the flame, so to speak. And people were drawn because of those believers, because they were so committed and they were devoted to the fellowship. You see, you get what I'm saying? This is the model. This is the model. You can have all sorts of strategies and programs to draw people, but it's really Christians who are involved in community, who are loving God and serving him via that community. It's those people who are effective in, in terms of spheres of influence in which they live so that other people can come to Jesus. Am I making sense here? See, community is not just something peripheral. It's central. It's central to our existence and to our life as Christians, if in fact we are to be fruitful. It is a supernatural experience being involved in community. And if you're not involved in community, if you know, you're just kind of going along doing your own thing, being a Christian, I believe in Jesus and that's it, you're missing out. You are missing out on, on supernatural things going on in and through your life. God's purpose in our life is only fulfilled as we live our life according to his design and his pattern. So it's not unreasonable, I think, to want and to work toward each one of us, each member of our church, to being involved in the lives of the others. Now I know, I'm, I know better than anybody, fellowship can get messy. It can get messy. But God calls us to walk by faith through these things and he gives us the resources and the tools to work through the messes That's right. if we will, if we trust him. It's in these environments where we learn as believers, as Christians, as image bearers, where we learn to do what I like to call do life together. Uh-huh. Let's do life together. Let's do life together. Let's encourage one another. Let's love one another. Let's support one another. Let's bless one another. All the one another's of the New Testament, it all speaks to doing life together. Don't remain on the periphery. Don't isolate yourself. Jump in, get your feet wet, participate. Become an active, participating member of the body. And unfortunately, we don't always do a good job at encouraging people and evidencing this whole concept of doing life together. 
What does it mean? It's more than just simply hanging out together. It's more than just going to Disneyland together. Doing life together is substantial and it's very, very critical to our lives and to our growth and to the glory of God. It's engaging in a battle. Doing life together. It's engaging in a battle for deep and abiding relationships within the body. It's kind of like being married. How many know that marriage after the honeymoon turns into warfare? <laughs> that's not a pejorative, that's not a negative thing, that's reality, it turns into warfare. This, 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 this new deal that I got has turned into an ordeal. And rather than wanting a new deal, I'm committed to working through and developing a deep and abiding relationship. And there are challenges there, are there not? You got two sinners living intimately close together. Am I committed to that proposition or am I not? This is the same reality on a little different plane in terms of community in the church. It's easy to avoid, it's easy to ignore, but God intends for us to do life together. And if we're to do that, we have to have some, some perspective and I want to give you four simple dynamics that help us understand what it means to do life together. The very first one is fundamental. And I think we all know this one. It begins with L. Love. love. That's right. Love. Love. These, this characterizes biblical community. But when we talk about love, love, just the term itself, can be somewhat ambiguous, can't it? It can be ambiguous. We love our spouses. We love our children. We love our dogs. Somebody said our cat last night. I said, you can't love a cat. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You cannot love a cat. Those vile creatures. No, we love our dogs. How can you not love a dog? Looks up at you with big old eyes. We love Mexican food, right? We love the Dodgers. Or the Lakers. Or SC. <laughs> Anthony, come on, buddy. All right, yeah. Yeah, so love, that term is ambiguous. It, it means different things with respect to the object that we, we talk about. In 1 John, I'm always encouraging people you know, we tell people who are new to the Bible, read, read the Gospel of John. Okay, that's a, that's a fairly standard thing. But I always say, if you read the Gospel of John, read the book of 1 John also. 1 John emphasizes the kind of love that God loves with. The kind of love that he puts into our hearts. He puts his love into our hearts. We can't muster it. When you become a believer, he puts his spirit in you, and when he puts his spirit in you, he brings his love, and you love now with his love. It's there. You just have to exercise it. In 1 John, he tells us that believers are to love one another. We're to love one another. However, he doesn't leave that term, he doesn't leave it in a, in a sense of ambiguity. He defines what love is like. He defines the kind of love that he talks about. And let me read to you just a couple of verses in chapter 3 of 1 John, beginning of verse 16. This is how we know what love is. 
This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's love. When you're willing to lay your life down. And incidentally, husbands, you know, the Apostle Paul instructs us, and Peter does also, that we are to love our wives as what? Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church. He laid his life down. We are to do the same thing for our wives. When you tell your wife you love her, you, you're, you're, if you're not laying your life down for her, you don't really love her. It's just empty words. He says, Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? So he, he, he signals one expression. It's not the end all. One expression. He says, for instance, if you see your brother in need and, and, and you don't help meet that need, you just say, be warmed and fed and go on your way. The love of God is not in you. You're not expressing it. Love is absolutely critical in our community. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Let us love in truth and in deed, not merely with our words. It's not just words. Love which is not sacrificial is really not love. It's not sacrificial. Well, you expect me to... Yes, God expects you. You're the Christian. Jesus laid his life down for you. You're to follow in his footsteps. He set an example for us. How's your love? How's your love? The second characteristic of true community, biblical community, is consistency. Consistency. Again, that passage in the book of Acts in chapter 2, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> pictured the consistency of the early church. They met how often? They met once a week, once a month. Every three weeks? No, they met every day. They met together in the temple courts. They met together in their homes. They broke bread together. They could not get enough of each other. They could not get enough of this community. Remember, this is a whole brand new dynamic in their life. These people were just starving, and now all of a sudden, God births this thing called the church, and people are loving on each other. You can't get enough of that. They came every day. They were consistent. The writer to the Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer to the Hebrews, he's writing to people who are second century believers, ostensibly believers, but no one knows for sure who was an actual believer and who was not. You know, there's people in the church all the time who are kind of sitting on the fence. They're not really all in. They're not really, they've never really made that decision, that commitment. But they know the lingo and they know the actions and know when to go and where to go but they're not really believers. And so what's happened is the second century persecution has come against Christians. And these Jewish or Hebrew professing believers, now, now what's happening is God is flesh, flushing them out because they're tempted to run back to the cover of Judaism to protect themselves from persecution and trial. So five times in the letter to the Hebrews, the writer 
warns them. They're called warning passages. Don't go back. Don't go back. Don't go back. And he continues to underscore the fact that Jesus is better than this. He's better than this. He's better than Moses. He's better than the law. He's better than all, all that you knew about as a Jew. And then in chapter 10, in the midst of one of those warning passages, he says, and let us not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some. Fellowship and community is not hit and miss. It's not every once in a while. It's not when I feel like it. Because if we only did things when we felt like it, we'd never get anything done. Isn't that true? How many have gotten up and gone to work when you didn't feel like it? Yeah. You get up and go to school when you don't feel like it. You, you, you get up and do what you got to do when, even when you don't feel like it. The same thing is with fellowship. Church is not optional. Community is not optional. It's critical to our life and to his glory. Amen. And so he warns them. He says, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That could be the day of judgment. That could be the day of, of persecution and trial. We see the handwriting on the wall about a lot of things. All the more reason for us to be people who are gathering together. We know who we can trust. We're in a relationship with each other. If the church ever has to go underground in America, and it may one day, you know who you can depend on. A clear scriptural admonition exists towards long-lasting relationships and a deeply consistent presence in the life of other people. You have to just say, is that true of me? Is there, is there the sense of a, of a deep, consistent presence in the life of others? And do I have that from them also? Occasional, infrequent gatherings do not capture the spirit of the early church. They met together every day. Do you think they had jobs? Do you think they had responsibilities? Do you think they had families? Do you think they had all these other stuff? Yes. I've been counseling a couple about their marriage. <clears throat> and I tell the husbands, if the marriage is going sideways, it's your fault. It's your fault. You've been assigned the role of leadership, whether you like it or not. You need to lead. You need to lead in loving your wife, caring for her. She's like a garden. Husband, you're a, you're a husband. You're the husband of that garden. And there's lots of things you do. I'm not going to go into it. But, but the point is, I'm talking to him about, about his responsibility, his role as a husband. <laughs> as a leader in his home, spiritual leader. And he gets it. He knows what I'm talking about. But he does it in fits and starts. And every time he, he thinks he's doing good, he takes a rest. He rests on his laurels. Ah, oh, I was doing good the last week. And then he goes back to the same old stuff. And I said to him, here's one word. This word is so critical. Your wife needs for you to be consistent. Consistent. Every day, consistent. And most guys aren't. Most guys, are, most guys say, well, I told you last week I loved you. <laughs> what more do you need? Come on, I told you last week. Guys, we don't treat them like guys. We don't treat them like we do. We can do that for each other. Doesn't matter to us. We're guys. 
It's consistency. And the same thing is true of community and fellowship. It's consistent fellowship. It's consistent fellowship. If you're not involved in consistent fellowship, if your love is not sacrificial, you have some things to be concerned about. You can say all day long, I believe in Jesus and and, and I love Jesus. If you're not involved in community, you cannot say in truth you love Jesus because you don't love his people. The body of Christ. Am I making sense? How's your consistency? How about worship? Worship is more than just songs. Worship is what? It's a lifestyle, isn't it? How I live my life, I live it as an act of worship. The Apostle Paul says, whatever you do, even in the most mundane things of your life, even if you're eating and drinking, do it as unto the Lord. Most of us are sloppy in how we eat. We're lazy in how we eat. We eat anything. We get fat. We, we just, our bodies don't glorify him. We're not good stewards over our bodies. And you can go on and on and on and on. Whatever you do, do it as unto him. The Apostle Paul tells us in, in Romans chapter 12. He says that, that our, we're to live our lives as what kind of sacrifices? Living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him sacrifices. He says, this is your spiritual service of worship. Whatever life sphere you're functioning in, whether it's your workplace or your school or your home or your neighborhood or wherever it is, that you honor him, that you live your life in a manner that pleases and blesses and exalts him. Worship. That early church their lives expressed worship, expressed worship. You just read the account. These people worship God in every aspect. It's essential for biblical community to be about the pursuit of God through all the means of grace he's given us, the Lord's table, prayer, our singing, our Bible study, and our fellowship. How's your worship? How's your worship? And here's the last one. Authenticity. Authenticity. People who gather together and yet do not truly know each other cannot rightly be called a community. I know my brothers and sisters. I know what troubles you. I know what's going on in your life. I care about you. I pray for you. Both when we're together and we're away from each other. You can't be called, you can't be participating in community unless you know what's going on in your brother or your sister's life. The Bible commands a number of things. It commands, among other things, the confession of sin, does it not? that we should confess our sins to one another. The Bible commands that we confess even our um, struggles as well as our praises. We we love to bring praise reports, but we shy away from confessing the other things. Authenticity. We're to live lives of transparency. This is the most difficult thing for Christians today to do is to be transparent. I want you to know me, and I want to know you. 
It's going to take a risk, isn't it? Because if I, if I really tell you what's going on in my life, you may not like me. If I tell you how I think, you may not. You go, ooh, yuck, you. Yeah. One of the things we hunger for most is, is acceptance. Acceptance. Will I be accepted? Will I be accepted? We will do everything we can think of to get accepted or to avoid not being accepted. Just look into your own life. You go into a new environment, oh, I feel nervous. Will they accept me? You know, someone looks at you sideways, you go, you can either react negatively or you can learn to respond. Maybe go reach out to that person and develop a new friend. But it's a life of transparency. This characteristic of authenticity bears with it a commitment to engage in all the means of fighting back sin for the good of ourselves, for the good of the body, and for the glory of our Lord. And oftentimes, that dedication to put sin away, to put sin to death, includes absolutely necessity of the proper and godly use of church discipline. Sometimes we have to make hard choices. Sometimes we have to discipline someone who's recalcitrant and unrepentant because we love them. We're motivated. Apostle Paul talks about it in Corinthians. So, in summary, given those four characteristics of community, what are the practical implications? What are the practical implications? What does the Bible say to us? Let me just share with you, real quickly. Love one another. Love one another. But it doesn't stop there. The Bible says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Go out of your way to honor your neighbor above yourself. Don't look to be honored. Honor that other person. Live in harmony with one another. Serve one another. How's your serve? Carry each other's burdens. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Oh, that's a big one, huh? That's really Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do not lie to each other. Encourage one another and build each other up. There isn't a single person in this room that doesn't need building up. Would you agree? Doesn't need encouragement. Let me encourage you. Let me just encourage you. I tell, I tell so many of you, when I see you and I see you regularly, I say, you know what, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Just, just watching your life blesses me. We, we can do that for each other, can't we? Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. These are, these are just representative samples of, of the kinds of things that represent and, and flesh out what real community is all about. But again, they stem from those four dynamics. What are the four dynamics? What's the first one? What kind of love? 
Sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. What's the second one? Consistency. Consistency. Be consistent. What's the third one? Worship. Worship. We have a worshipful life. Acknowledging him in all of your ways. And what's the fourth one? Authenticity. Let's be authentic people, shall we? Shall we? In that way, we will more and more and more learn what it means as a family of God to do life together. Amen? Are you glad you came today? Yes. All right. We committed to doing life together? Yes. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you again for your design. Thank you for the church. And Lord, we know that it's imperfect, but as imperfect as the church may be, it's still the best thing going. 